Sideways, an urban fantasy series written and narrated by Andy Havens. You're listening to book one, Awake. This and the second book, Aware, are available on Amazon as print and ebooks. You can get the Amazon links, learn more about the series, read the development blog, create fan fiction, and read the first book for free at thesideways.com. That's T-H-E-S-I-D-E-W-A-Y-S.com. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying the books in any form, I'd really appreciate a share on Facebook or Twitter, or LinkedIn, I suppose, or Instagram, Tumblr, Reddit, Pinterest, Flickr. Chapter 3. Perception. The moment the door shut behind Mr. Monday, Kendra's universe became something else. She had one split second of confusion, and then... Light. White. Pressure. Black. And checkerboard. Ice. Hands. Ice. Eyes. Wear white. Not white. Spinning. All of the eyes. Red. Falling. Red waterfall. Red river. White moon. Yellow teeth. 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 Teeth choking. My name. My name. My name. Long. Long. Word. Stop. Point. Poke. Stab. Impale. Pierce. Shatter. Scatter. Dust. Stretch. Falling. Stretch. Sleeping. Stretch. Dream. No dream. Red moon. Red teeth. Hands. Claws. Cold. Cold. Picking. Stacking. Dust. Fire. Needle. Pin. Poke. Stab. No. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. No. 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 Red. White. Teeth. Hand. Moonfall. Whip. Wind. Her mind and body interpreted what she was experiencing as points of pain up and down her arms and legs. Nausea as if she were about to vomit everything she'd ever eaten. Dizziness and vertigo so bad she was sure she was falling. Extreme cold all at once. She shut her eyes, gasped for air, fell to the floor, and screamed because there was nothing else to do. Nothing to do besides let some of the terror out. So much was flowing into her. Somehow she had to force some of it to leave her head, and screaming was all that was left. Every color, every sound, every smell, every perception entering her mind was burdened with a thousand thousand meanings and a hundred feelings, She couldn't move on the floor without it speaking to her, yelling at her, questioning her in languages she didn't understand. She couldn't breathe without the air itself trying to yell at her about subway art and bakery oven technology, the way urine smells if someone has liver disease, rock quarry physics, childbirth statistics, neon sculpture and bookbinding, the history of the orders of Catholic nuns and how fire spreads in hallways. She struggled to her knees, arms wrapped tight around herself, dimly aware of the shape of objects around her, even with her eyes closed. She fell and managed to half-land on the couch. It, too, had stories to tell, insistent stories complete with over-sharp sensations. Her inner eye was alive with a million shades of brown for some reason. She remembered the couch as being more of a gray, but in her brain it was now a thing of brown history. And the sounds... They filled her mind with words, some she could understand, some she couldn't, 
pieces of songs, snatches of conversation, so many voices, so many touches, intimate touches, glancing fingers, bumps and pokes, the scrape of a vacuum cleaner across the back of her eyes. Her mind was filled again, filled to breaking, and so she screamed again. Screaming was perfectly logical. It also wasn't painful, not like with a headache when screaming would only make it worse. The noise was blissfully pure and singular. There were no echoes. Her scream was one voice, just one. That was good. She already knew everything about that voice. It was hers. It didn't come with a thousand other associations and marks. So she concentrated on that, the screaming, trying to fight off another wave of nausea. Kendra pushed herself further up onto the couch and screamed again, Yes! That felt really, really nice. And if she concentrated on the sound, on a sensation that she was uniquely responsible for, it seemed to take the edge off some of the other. For the next few minutes, she screamed like a madwoman, up and down scales, no words, just various tones, different pitches, different volumes. She barely breathed and feared she'd pass out from lack of oxygen. Then she thought that passing out wasn't such a bad idea and stopped worrying about it. Each scream seemed to tear one layer of the madness away, seemed to snap her own mind in place on top of one set of images or sounds. Shriek! Away went Galapagos turtles. Shout! And the guns of the Boer War were silenced. More screams and some of the voices in foreign tongues became quiet. The pain began to subside. The nausea retreated to something manageable. She was hugging her knees now, rocking back and forth on one end of the couch, like a severely autistic child, eyes shut as tightly as possible. She let the volume of the screams die down a bit until it sounded more like she was calling out for something in a language without words. Raw, inarticulate noise, but not quite as loud and desperate as before. Moaning. Yes, that's the word. Moaning. It still seemed to help. Finally, she felt able to open her eyes. The office was awash in visual echoes, ghost images of people appearing and disappearing, fragments of sights, and pieces of color flashing across her view like psychedelic comets. She was still moaning, long, low sounds like someone trying to push something foreign from a wound. But the pain was almost gone, dying away like a toothache after the tooth's been pulled, so she gradually lowered her voice until she was silent. If she held very still and focused on one particular spot, like the doorknob, for example, the riot of colors and images was much less frightening. She felt like she was balanced on top of an avalanche of sensation and that the slightest movement would tip her over the edge. In the front pocket of her pants, her cell phone rang. The sound and vibration sent a fresh wave of pain and nausea up her leg, hip, and side. She fell backward on the couch, biting her lip and trying like mad to get her hand inside her pocket in order to make it stop, make the shaking and the screeching of the little device stop. It pulsed with images and words with every ring and threatened to push her back into the sea of madness she'd just now crawled from. Without thinking, she pulled it out of her pants and answered it. As soon as the ringing ceased, the pain and vertigo stopped too. She couldn't think clearly enough to say anything but could hear someone talking at the other end of the connection. Kendra? It was her mom. She barely managed to whisper, Mom? Kendra? Where are you? At Shama's house? Honey, it's fine if you want to spend the night, but you really should tell me. Her mother's voice sounded tinny and distant, like she was calling from another planet not just a few miles away. 
Not at Shama's. She could only whisper. What? What was that? I can't hear you, Kendra. For some reason, the sound of her mother's voice wasn't causing Kendra any pain. She was alert enough that it seemed strange to her. Not at Shama's, she repeated. Okay, well, so you worked late. Do you need a ride? Where are you? Do I need a ride? Good question. It was a normal question, a question that mothers ask kids all the time, but she didn't know where she was. In the library. She remembered. If you are still inside my institution when the sun rises, you will die. Who had said that? What an odd thing to say. What a non-normal thing to say. Who talks like that? Yes, Kendra was able to talk now, a bit louder than whispering. Yes, Mom, I'll, I'll need a ride. Let me, let me finish something up here, and I'll give you a call back in five minutes. She checked her watch, 8.14 p.m. That couldn't be right. It had been later than that when all the crazy stuff happened back in the garden. The sky lady, the... What did the guy call him? The green man? And he'd told her she'd done the math, six hours or so. Okay, Kendra, talk to you in a bit. Her mom hung up. Kendra put the phone back in her pocket. The room seemed almost normal now. Maybe she was a little dizzy, but that was all. She looked around and spotted her backpack on the floor near the end of the couch. She stood up, a little wobbly, but not too bad, and grabbed the backpack by one of the shoulder straps. So far so good, she thought. My head's clearing up. I can see the, uh, what was I looking for? She looked around the room one last time and couldn't remember if she'd lost something or had come in looking for something or someone. She shrugged. No big deal. Slinging the backpack over one shoulder, she put her hand on the doorknob, turned it, and opened the door. She was at the end of a long corridor. It looked like an office suite or the administration wing in a school or something. All the doors had those mottled glass tops that usually had somebody's name or department or title stenciled on them. Here, though, no stencils, just the glass. Three doors on each side of the hall. An old-fashioned light bulb in a conical brass hood was providing the only dim illumination. No fluorescent light here. It looks like something from the 50s, she thought, starting down the hallway. For some reason, Kendra felt frightened. There was nothing overtly scary about the place. It was quiet and deserted, and that was weird. But she was used to weird. She even liked it. No, it was more as if she felt she should be afraid but wasn't. That just doesn't make sense. If I'm not afraid, I'm not. I'll just get out of here, figure out where I am, and call Mom for a ride. The linoleum cracked a bit under her shoes, but that wasn't what was creeping her out. It was something that she wasn't seeing or hearing, something beyond the range of her senses. Until it came close enough to touch, though, there just wasn't anything she could do about it. There was another door at the end of the hallway, opposite the one she'd come out of, she was afraid of that door. That's what was scaring her. There was something behind that door, something ominous and deadly, towering and ancient. She could feel it, poised and balanced, waiting only for her hand on the knob to send it crashing down around her, drowning her in pain and nausea again. She got close enough to it so that her breath fogged the glass. It was dark on the other side, perfectly dark. She could see nothing through the glass. She put her hands up on it. Still nothing. It was cool, but only like glass should be. She felt no weird vibration or trembling, no heartbeat or... 
On impulse, she put her hand on the doorknob and opened the door with a jerk. Nothing happened. The room on the other side was dark, but there was a light switch just inside the door on the left, exactly where you'd expect a light switch to be. She turned it on, and another overhead light in a conical brass hood shed a bright yellowish glow on what appeared to be a waiting room of some kind. There were four chairs, two on each wall to her left and right, with a small end table between each pair. There was a couch, low and lumpy, against the wall opposite her. The whole room was done in shades of pale green, rusty orange, and brown. It wasn't ugly so much as it was not attractive. Frumpy. There were books piled on the end tables and more books piled on the floor between the couch and the corner. There were art prints on the wall and several framed pictures, all in all about what you'd expect in the waiting room of an academic office. The next door was right across from her. Same door, glass above, wood below, nothing to be seen. Darkness on the other side. Again, the feeling of terror began to build inside her and, screw this, she thought. I'm not going to cringe and fright every single time I come to a door. It's a library, right? He said that, didn't he? A library for crying out loud. What's going to jump out and attack me? A diorama? A reed poster? Forget it. With that, she stomped across the room, inadvertently knocking over a stack of magazines with her swinging backpack, and opened the door leading out of the waiting room. She was in a hall of some kind. It was dark here, too, and the only light came from behind her in the room she'd just left. She felt along the wall, but no luck this time. Okay, there's enough light to start out, and after that I'll just feel along the wall, like in a labyrinth. All you have to do is keep your hand on one wall, and eventually you'll make it out. She remembered having read that somewhere, or perhaps she'd heard it recently. Kendra put her left hand on the wall and began to work her way away from the waiting room and the offices and out into the library proper. The shadows of tall shelves and displays loomed over her, and as she moved further from the light, she stepped closer and closer into true darkness until she was well and truly blind. Keeping her left hand on the wall, she felt forward with her right hand, swinging it in gentle arcs as she slid her feet slowly along. She didn't know if there were stairs or even other levels to this building, but her preference was not to find out by falling down them. The wall she was following turned to the left, and after a while to the right, to the right again, and then to the left, shortly after which she entered a part of the library where tall windows let some little light in from the street, and she was able to see again. Not much, but enough to be grateful for. She could tell that she was in some kind of atrium. There weren't any big displays or anything, just many low tables with heavy wood chairs surrounding them. Maybe a study area, she thought. She walked past the tables, sliding her fingers across the smooth, worn wood. There was an archway at the far end of the study area, as she thought of it, and she headed towards it. As she passed under the open arch, she got an even better view of the nighttime facility as more light came in from a skylight above. Three sets of steps led down from a semicircular platform under the archway where she stood. To the left and right, it looked as if there might be other wings of the building. At the end of the steps was a small area with several potted plants, and then heavy wooden doors with very large pull handles. Directly in front of her, at the bottom of the third set of stairs, was a set of four very large, heavy-looking doors over which hung the sign she'd been looking for. Exit. Kendra jogged down the steps and headed right for the exit doors. She assumed they'd be locked, but had to give them a try anyway. But when she examined the door carefully, she found that the old-fashioned locking mechanism wasn't something that needed a key, only someone on the inside to turn a handle. 
The handle then pulled a series of bolts out of the top and bottom frame of the door, and she pushed, and the door opened easily. Must be counterbalanced, she thought, walking out into the cool night air. She let the door shut softly behind her, feeling slightly guilty about leaving the door unlocked at night. Not my fault. They left me in there. And something about not being around at dawn, or I'll be in trouble, be out by dawn, or you're in trouble. Who talks like that? Kendra checked her watch. 8.32 p.m. Really? Still that early? Now all she had to do was find some landmark. She had no idea where the heck this library was in town, and call her mom for a ride. She turned left past one of the stone lions and walked down the block, checking the street sign, and not recognize it. Though it was night, summer was far enough along that it wasn't totally dark. In fact, the sky had a funny gray tint to it. Kendra had no trouble reading street signs until she came to an intersection that she remembered. She sat down on a bus stop bench and called her mom on her cell phone. Kendra, her mom said before she even identified herself, where are you? I'm at the bus stop near the corner of Albright and Peach, she replied. It's right near the coffee shop with the big bowler hat on the sign out in front. Right, her mom said. I'll be there in about 15 minutes. And she hung up. Just like mom, thought Kendra. Only the facts and nothing but. Her shoulders and neck were sore for some reason, so she put her backpack on the bench and did some stretching exercises, rotating her neck and head around and around. After a minute, the soreness was gone. She sat down again and noticed that a large bulldog was watching her from across the street. He wasn't on a leash, and she hoped he wasn't mean. She didn't like big dogs. He wasn't tall, but he was big and ugly. But he wasn't moving, just sitting and panting, tongue all drippy and hanging out one side of his mouth. It was very quiet. This was a part of town she wasn't overly familiar with, but it seemed much quieter than the parts she knew. No street noise, no cars, no horns, no trucks backing up. Where is everybody? I don't think I've seen a single person since Kendra's mom drove up in her minivan. Kendra grabbed her backpack, opened the passenger side door, and slid in. Thanks for picking me up, Mom. She said that was a quick 15 minutes. No problem. Her mom put the car back into gear and pulled away from the curb. Two or three turns later, they were on a main street and there was traffic. She may not be the most interesting mom on the planet, Kendra thought, but she also doesn't ever get pissed, and that's something anyway. She wondered if her mom would even ask about where she'd been or why she'd been out past midnight on... But it's not past midnight. It's not even nine. She just came to get me because the subway only runs on the hour after eight o'clock. The lights of cars and shops and houses blurred by through the windows. The glass tinting seemed to turn them all gray and wishy-washy. She breathed on the glass and made a tic-tac-toe pattern with her finger in the moisture. She never won. Always a tie. That made her smile. Kendra turned to look at her mom. In profile, her elegant, finely sculpted features were even more perfectly defined. Everyone was always telling her that. Your mother is so beautiful. Kendra didn't see it, okay, in a textbook kind of way, maybe, but how could someone as purely rational, so deeply uninteresting and shallow, be beautiful? At most, Kendra thought of her as striking, like a statue, maybe. They turned onto Kendra's street, and she leaned back to look up and out of the window at the brownstone condos that lined her block. They were all very tasteful and appropriate, and there was even a private security company to augment the local police presence. 
The little bit of lawns they had were managed by someone other than Mr. Vernon. It was way too simple a job for someone of his stature in the industry. There were trees and big boxes of dirt on both sides of the road. Their branches seemed black against the summer sky. Her mom parked the car in their designated space in front of their condo, and they both got out and walked up the front steps. A locked gate into a narrow alley led around the right side of the building to a small fenced yard out back. There was enough room for a patio table and four chairs and a small grill. Sometimes Kendra ate out back at the table, but she could never recall her mother doing so, or anyone ever having used the grill. The condo was three stories tall plus a basement, which was just storage and a laundry room. The ground floor had a kitchen, half-bath, and combined living room-dining room area. The second floor was her mom's bedroom and study, and the third floor was Kendra's room and a storage area where her mom kept lots of old paperwork and stuff in filing cabinets. They each also had a full bath, which was nice. At the top of the front steps, Kendra turned around to look out at their street, Wicking Cross. It was fully night now, and the street lights had come on, the red-brown of the brick buildings had paled to a dark gray, and even the green of the potted trees seemed to have faded. There was no wind and no traffic noise, the only sound she heard was her mom's key in the lock. Something about a key. Had Mom lost a key? Kendra was puzzled. Mom, she asked, did you lose a key? Her mom turned to face her, one hand on the doorknob, and for a moment her face looked very strange, almost translucent, as if Kendra could see through her. But she wasn't seeing what would have been on the other side of her mom's head, their front door, but another place, a room, a room with books and a stuffed crow. No, I didn't, her mom replied and the strange vision was gone. Kendra shrugged. Visions were nothing new. Her mom opened the door and they went inside. They were both neat people, Lane White and her daughter Kendra, not in an obsessive way, but simply the type of people who clean up after themselves. Had unexpected guests arrived, they would have needed about 30 seconds to make the house presentable. Lane made a good living as the senior editor and talent scout for a major publishing house, that put out a number of successful magazines, among them some of the most widely read travel magazines in the world. Lane White did not travel, but she had a sense for editing the work of those who did. Their house was furnished rather sparsely, a small oval dining room table with six chairs, a living room set with a couch and two rather uncomfortable yet stylish chairs, an entertainment center and TV, a few paintings, nothing in any way remarkable. Kendra was always struck by the amount of personality that other people's houses had when she went visiting. Other people had odd, mismatched furniture and pictures made by their children on the wall. Other people had knick-knacks on small shelves above the toilet. Other people had all sorts of interesting things. She and her mom had everything they needed, but not much else. The lights were off in the dining room, living room area, and in the kitchen. In fact, the whole first floor was pretty dim. Just the one light over the sink in the kitchen was on. I didn't wake you up, did I? asked Kendra. Lane shook her head. No, honey. It's not even nine. But I was upstairs working. Are you going to read or watch some TV? Kendra shrugged. I don't know. Not TV at the moment. I'm tired. Pretty tired. I'll go up to my room, but I don't know if I'll sleep yet. Okay. And with that, her mom turned away and went up the stairs to her study. Kendra left her backpack by the front door and went up the stairs behind her mom, but kept on going when her mom turned off at the second floor landing. The stairs were fairly steep since the house didn't have a large footprint and the designers hadn't wanted to take up any more room than necessary with the staircase. 
This chairs were carpeted in a nice dark gray, a fairly deep pile for stairs. They made no noise as she walked up two flights to her room. The third floor landing faced the front of the house, and there was a round, chest-high window looking out onto the street. Kendra turned to the right and into her room. It wasn't a large bedroom, but it was her own space. Her mom never bugged her there, and she was deeply glad, in this one particular, for Lane's indifference. The idea of a mother who barged into your room or wanted to help design your look for the day or anything like that made Kendra's stomach go sour. If you hadn't known for sure, you might have thought it was a boy's room. There were very few girly affectations. They had mostly been put away well before Kendra turned 13. There were still some nice, very feminine clothes in the closet and shoes under the bed, and she did wear makeup to school. You could see some few bottles and tubes near the mirror on her dresser, but that was about it. No posters of bands or actors, no frilly or lacy pinkness or purple. Just shelves with books and CDs and a desk with a really nice top-of-the-line computer and stereo. The bed cover and pillowcases were light gray, as were the curtains. She had window views on both sides of the front and backyards of the house. She moved an armload of clothes and a few books and CDs off her low, comfortable reading chair and sat down to think about what she should do until she was ready to sleep. She wasn't in the middle of a book. She didn't have anything new on the waiting-to-be-read list. Maybe reread an old favorite? That sounded comforting. Especially after such a... such a... What kind of day was today? I'm tired, but... but why? It was just... it was a normal day. She stood up and went to her bookshelf to find something to keep her mind occupied for an hour or so, maybe even something that would put her to sleep faster. History? No, too boring. Little kids' books? I didn't even know those were still here. She had lots of books on her floor-to-ceiling shelves, stacked too deep at times one row behind the other. On a whim, she knelt down and reached behind the front row on the bottom shelf and pulled out a book at random. The Magician's Nephew, first book in the Narnia series by C.S. Lewis. I didn't even know I had a copy of that. It was a small but nice hardcover edition. She'd read the books back in fourth grade, but in a larger paperback format that she'd taken out of the school library. How had she missed owning a copy? Did she have the whole series around somewhere? She reached back and started pulling more books out. Nope. Nothing else by Lewis. Apparently just the one. She opened the book to the inside cover and found a handwritten inscription. To Kendra, on her fourth birthday though you're too young to understand why. Love, Dad. The words were written in bright blue ink, a blue so intense it made her eyes hurt, almost like a strobe in a darkened room, and as she read them she realized that those words were the only spot of color in the room. She looked up, suddenly panicked, heart beating fast, and scanned her entire bedroom. Everything, every piece of furniture, every book, the walls, the bed, the curtains, the windows, the trees she could see outside, was rendered in shades of gray. Her curtains were yellow. They were supposed to be yellow. She'd picked them out herself, a pale, summery yellow that made her room look like dawn almost all the time. But they were gray. And the carpet was supposed to be tan. With a dreadful suspicion, she stood up off the floor and went to stand in front of her mirror. She, too, was reflected in shades of black and white. Her brown hair was gray. Her skin was light gray, everything like an old movie. Strangely, being devoid of color, she seemed to resemble her mother even more than normal. Maybe it was because her mom's hair wasn't reddish-brown anymore, but a dark, dark gray, and her skin was paler than Kendra's, too. The girl she saw in the mirror looked very much like one who would grow up to be another Lane White. Am I sick? Did I go colorblind? Why can't I see any color at all? 
but then she remembered the book in her hand. She opened it up and looked at the inscription again. The words hadn't really registered before, just the piercing bright color which was still shining out from the page like neon. Now that she was over the initial shock of that, she realized what it said. Love. Dad? She had never had anything. No word, no letter, no message, no picture from her father. Her mom refused to speak of him. The few times Kendra had asked, Lane had shut her down with a remark along the lines of, We're better off without him. Or, You don't want to know. Trust me. She sat down on the stool she used when brushing her hair and, rarely, putting on makeup. She put the book down, still open on the dresser. She looked at the shining blue words and couldn't understand how the book had appeared on her shelf. Mom wouldn't have given it to me, that's for sure. While one hand held the book open, she reached out and ran her fingers gently over the glowing blue letters. The instant she touched the ink, a stabbing pain pierced her shoulder. It felt as if someone had pushed a large, hot needle into her flesh, through the muscle, and into the bone. Instinctively, she pulled her hands away from the book, and it fell shut, the fresh, tight binding pulling it closed. The pain stopped, but an aftertaste of it remained, a small ache as if she'd been punched the day before. Rotating her shoulder a bit to try to work out the last of the discomfort, Kendra pulled down the neck of her shirt and looked down at her shoulder to try and see what had caused the sharp stabbing pain. There was a blue, almost shiny stain on her skin, an uneven splotch the shape of a small puddle. Kendra couldn't get a very good look at it, and she was trying to stare almost straight down at her collarbone. She pulled the collar of her shirt down further and leaned forward to look at the mark in the mirror instead. For a moment, she was able to concentrate on the strange stain. It was the same blue as the ink in the book, a shiny, almost electric color, the only color left in her room. But after only a second or two, she became aware of something else in the reflected surface of the mirror, and turned her eyes upward to look at her face. Confused, she leaned in very close and put a hand up to the glass, as if touching its smooth surface would help confirm what she was seeing. The face in the glass, her face, was not completely solid. It was partially transparent, and stranger still, what she saw through it was not the image of her bedroom wall and the door behind her, but apparently the pattern of an oriental rug, or something similar, and though she could only see it faintly, she could see this carpet in color. The image of her face that overlay the complex design still appeared in shades of gray. Her clothes and the rest of her room was mirrored in faded black and white, but the sinuous shapes, the complex knots and geometric patterns that she could barely make out behind, no, showing through her face, were visible in a multitude of colors. Her hand on the mirror began to shake, so she put it in her lap instead. I haven't taken my meds today. That's what it is. This is just a different kind of hallucination. I haven't taken my meds in... I don't remember. But it's been a few days? At least? Right? She looked in the top drawer of her dresser. There was the bottle, half full. Fumbling a bit with the child-proof cap, she took out two of the big oblong pills and put them on the surface of her dresser. They were white, but they'd always been white. She got up and went out of her room and into the storage room next door where there was a small college fridge in which she kept bottled water and yogurt. She grabbed some Evian and went back to her room, sat down on the stool by her dresser, and stared at the two big pills. They'll make this weirdness go away, she thought. Isn't that what I want? Kendra looked down at the book, The Magician's Nephew. With a shaky hand, she opened the cover and looked down at the writing again. Still blue, still glowing like it was powered from within. 
She kept the book open and with one hand pressing down on the binding to crack it loose a bit. With her other hand, she pulled her arm completely out of the neck hole of her shirt so that she could clearly see the blue stain that marked her chest. It was still there, and when she glanced back and forth from it to the writing on the book, they looked as if they were made of the same material. Hesitantly, slowly, she moved the hand holding the book open, closer to the message written in the book. Love, Dad. Not thinking about it at all, she touched the fingers of her left hand to the mark on her collarbone, just as she slid her right hand to cover the inscription in the book. This time, though, when she made contact with the ink, although there was pain, there was also clarity. She felt as if she dived into a freezing cold or boiling hot pool of water. She wasn't sure which, but either way it was cleansing, stripping some kind of filth from her. She felt as if layers of cobwebs or dust or grime were being pulled away from her, possibly taking her skin with them. She didn't scream, though, not like the last time, not like that time in the library. She opened her eyes and stared at herself in the mirror. The color behind and through her reflected face was brighter now, sharper. She got up off her stool and leaned as far forward as she could, almost touching the surface of the mirror with her forehead. She peered into her own eyes but couldn't see anything but the pattern of threads and colors, shapes and woven cloth. Kendra slipped her arm back into her shirt, with one hand in the book folded around her palm as if she was marking her place and the other hooked under her collar casually touching the now hidden mark on her skin she went down to her mother's floor of the house mom she called yes i'm in the study lane replied kendra stood in the doorway to her mother's work area it was as sparsely decorated as a room could be and still be said to be decorated you could even have been forgiven if you'd thought that someone was in the process of moving out there was a desk a chair for the desk a lamp and shelves and though there were books on the shelves they were all reference works "'Mom, I need to go back to the library,' Kendra said. She rocked back and forth from one foot to the other, which was something she often did when nervous. Her mom picked up on it and stared at her feet until she stopped, mildly chagrined. "'Did you leave something there?' Lane asked. She didn't look angry. She didn't look irritated. She didn't look anything. Very neutral. "'Yeah,' answered Kendra. "'I did, and uh, I need it for my job tomorrow morning. I need to go over some stuff tonight on the computer for Mr. Vernon.' I'm really sorry. The night guard will let me in, I'm pretty sure. Lane looked at her with a totally blank, totally passionless stare. And for a moment again, Kendra could see color through her face, too. Not clearly enough to make other details, but it was a stark contrast to the world of black and white surrounding them both. For some reason, her mom's empty stare made her a little afraid, and without thinking about it, she pressed down harder on her shoulder. The mark there seemed to pulse beneath her fingers, sending a sharp twinge of pain along her arm and up into her neck, and for a moment the world around her became even more transparent. Just like her own face in the mirror and her mom's face, she could see something, something with color, a world more seemingly solid than that in which she stood. Her mom just sat there looking at her. She was saying something, but her mouth was moving very slowly. Too slowly. Kendra moved toward her, and it seemed as if she was floating or skating more than walking. And when she reached her mother, she could see that her eyes were still focused on where Kendra had been, not on the spot where she was standing now. Kendra turned and raced back to the windows at the front of the house and looked out into the street. There were a few people, random walkers, passing by, but they all seemed frozen and had the same semi-transparent quality to them. She turned and looked back at her mom. Her lips weren't moving at all now. What the hell is going on here? She ran back into her room, 
to look at herself in the mirror again. Yes, she was becoming as transparent as everything else, more so when she pressed down on the blue spot on her shoulder. And what about the blue ink in the book, she thought. Thinking of the book reminded her of the library. If you are still inside my institution when the sun rises, you will die. But I'm not inside the library. I'm home. I made it out long before. It had been night when she'd left the library. Had there been a sunrise? Between when she'd gotten up and gone to see Dr. Leone and the fight with the Sky Woman and... She remembered all of it. The topiary, the green guy, the gargoyle, the fight, waking up in the old guy's office. But all of that must have been a long, drawn-out hallucination, right? There were her pills on the dresser. There were clearly two worlds in her view now, the black and white one which her body inhabited and another world, the room in the library. She recognized it now. That's where the color was coming from. The rug on the floor, the fireplace, the stuffed crow, the roll-top desk. She could make out some details, but mostly what she saw was color bleeding through. What time is it back in the library? Does it matter? Was I imagining that? Where did this book come from? And the inscription? The only thing I've ever seen with the word dad on it. Her head spun and she reached out for her medication. The bottled water was there on her dresser now, too. She'd have to let go of the book in order to open the bottle. What is real? she asked out loud, not expecting an answer.